are in fact listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, and we have two interviews uh, for you today, actually, and both of them are regarding the Water Docks Festival. Um, the first interview we're going to have is with Melanie Howe, who's the Water Dock programmer, who's uh, responsible for programming a lot of the wonderful documentaries that will be pl start playing here in Toronto next week. And then following that, after our first music break, we're actually going to have Sterla Gunnarsson, who is a uh, former Icelandic, now Canadian, or born in Iceland, now Canadian uh, film director uh, with many accreditations to his name. Uh, but we'll be speaking, uh, speaking to him about last year's documentary called Monsoon, uh, which was all shot in high-def cameras following um, the monsoon area uh, in India as it went through. Um, very powerful documentary as well. Uh, I'm wondering if we have Melanie on the phone. Yes, I'm here. Hi, Melanie. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us this morning. Um, we are we have been to Water Docks Festival a couple of times, but I think it has actually been a couple of years since I actually had somebody on. So first of all, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So this, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the history of the of the the festival itself and and why you've chosen to focus on water? Sure. Um, the Water Docks Film Festival is a program by, uh, that's um, put on by the Ecologos Institute. And I joined the Ecologos Institute about seven or eight years ago as a volunteer. Uh, at that time, we were very widely focused on many different issues. And about five years ago, decided that we needed to uh, be a bit more fo uh, laser-focused on one particular issue. And we landed on water because that seems to be well, obviously, there's no life without water, and it seems to be uh, something that touches people very, very deeply. Um, emotionally, everybody has some sort of connection to water, and that's why we decided to focus on that. So all of our current nine programs, including the Water Docks Film Festival, which is our main program, are focused on water. And so it sort of seems like a very apt city to, to have this in, or at least a, an apt part of the world where we're surrounded by uh, some of the, the Great Lakes, as it were, and also there's uh, tons of water, fresh water in, uh, in Canada as well. But do you think that, uh, that part of the reason why this is such an interesting topic, do you, do you find like we take water for granted? Is this something that people don't, uh, that you find that people don't think about enough, their, their connection to this life-giving force? Indeed. We live in a, a we're so lucky we live in a, a water-rich uh, country. We're surrounded by water on three sides, of course, that's uh, saline water. Uh, but our, our country is so abundant with fresh water um, and so because it is something that's so abundant, especially in Ontario, um, we tend to take it for granted. People just turn the tap on, and it doesn't even register where is this water coming from. Some people don't even know the source of their fresh drinking water and, and how much power and energy it takes to uh, clean the water and bring it back to your home so that when you do turn on your tap, you have fresh water. There's so many parts of the world that... Uh, experience drought on a regular basis and um, you know the, the the fact that we waste so much water in North America it's it's actually really sad and so part of it is to bring people back to an awareness and not just an awareness but to once they are aware and and we find that touching them uh, in their stories and their personal stories um, and then bringing them to that full awareness and reconnection, and it, it will motivate people to take some sort of action. And that's really the, the raison d'etre, is to get people to take action to protect our abundant source of fresh water. 
And so, Melanie, as I mentioned at the top of the show there, we're going to be talking to uh, Sterling Gunnarsson about Monsoon just after the break, which is your opening film um, at 5.30 on the March 18th. Correct. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about some of the other uh, programs that you've put together? Sure. But let me just talk a little bit about Monsoon. It's a, it is, as you said at the opening of the show, a beautiful, beautifully shot, wonderful film. Uh, it will touch people on a deep level because it is so poignant. Um, and Sterling will be there in person. Um, and it is, this is a, one of our free events, so we encourage people to come. It'll, it'll be taking place, of course, at U of T um, in the Health Sciences Building, room 610 at 530, as you said, on Wednesday the 18th. So, so if you can come, please come. It'll be, it'll be a great film to see, and a, we'll have a great panel discussion afterwards with Sterla and um, a couple other people. Um, so the rest of the program, um, you can see everything of our program if you just go to www.waterdocs.ca. You can see what we're playing for the, the week. Um, I wanted to say that we do present our film festival at this time of the year because it is next week is Canada Water Week, and that runs into the following Sunday, March 22nd, which is World Water Day. And World Water Day, uh, the place to come and celebrate World Water Day, of course, would be our film festival. And on that particular day, we're showing a film called Oil and Water, which is about sort of what we're talking about, the abundance in North America of fresh water and then the fresh water in, um, in Ecuador where it's being polluted by the oil industry and it's ruining, you know, the health and the lives of the indigenous people there. So it's a really great film to come and see and celebrate World Water Day. Uh, we will also have the um, filmmakers uh, with us after the screening um, on Skype, and we will have one filmmaker in person who... Uh, I also sh- We also show shorts, short films, um, ahead of the feature film at all of our events. And one of our short films called What It All Boils Down To um, about water in um, the Yukon, The filmmaker, one of the filmmakers from that will be with us in person. So uh, it's looking like it's going to be a really great event. So I really encourage people to come and celebrate World Water Day with us. I also want to uh, put a shout-out to our uh, opening night, which is on Friday, March the 20th. That's a week today. Uh, we're showing Damnation which is a fantastic film which was co-created with Patagonia. If your um, listeners are familiar with Patagonia, which is an outdoor clothing company. Uh, absolutely. Actually, we've, we've had the, uh, the, the, the founder of that on the program about a year ago. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, he's, uh, he's quite an amazing man, actually. Um, so Damnation is all about the movement, and, and it is a little U.S.-focused, uh, the film itself, but it, it does relate to Canada. It's the, the, the movement that's um, sort of the grassroots movement that's about taking down obsolete dams off of rivers. Because although we think that hydroelectric power, <laughs> and we think of that a lot in Quebec and Ontario, is really good and a good, clean way to um, create energy for us, it unfortunately uh, has problems um, that we don't often think about. When you put a, when you dam up a river, you ruin the whole ecosystem around that river, and uh, it all gets flooded, and all the trees and vegetation die, <coughs> and it affects a, a lot of things that we don't think about. Um, and the fish, the natural fish spawning habitats are, are broken, and often the fish populations, um, they minimize or they even die out. 
So the film damnation talks a lot about taking down obsolete dams, dams that are just not even in use anymore, bringing them down, and how that will restore the whole um, river and the river um, its natural uh, being. I, I find another reason why I find the the issue of talking about um, sort of water issues in general is it's, it's similar to climate uh, in the sense that um, it's sort of. Is, a, is among many other things, it's a way to sort of remind people of the sort of artificialness of our sort of country boundaries in the sense that, uh, for instance, there's a there's a Great Lakes agreement between Canada and the U.S. because there's no way to just sort of draw a line down the middle of the lakes and say, okay, you guys take care of that side and we'll take care of this side. There is, there is sort of no way to separate this sort of thing out. And it's one of the reasons why I like talking about water um, is because it sort of reminds us that, that, that there is a commons, that we, that we have no way to not sort of team up on uh, lest we suffer the consequent consequences. So um, do you have a, a, a particular thing that you were personally most excited uh, to see? Uh, well, um, speaking of a commons, and that's a really good way to put it, on our program on Thursday the 26th, Thursday evening the 26th, we will be showing um, a short film called Great Lakes Commons Rising, and that's by the um, Great Lakes Commons uh, NGO which is a great film, and we're also premiering a film that has just been completed. Now, I might have a problem pronouncing the title, but I'm going to try, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an indigenous word, so, so anyway, here I'll, here I'll try it. Wawaseagaming, and that means in, uh, the, I, I think it's Cree, maybe, or Anishinaabe, um, the language. It means the waters of lake, uh, it means, um, actually, it actually means the beautiful lake, but mm. the subtitle of that film is "The Waters of Lake Simcoe." So this particular film that we're—it's a world premiere uh, that we're showing on that night—is by a filmmaker named Becky Big Canoe, and it's about Lake Simcoe and all the um, development that's starting to happen around there, and how it's uh, the the lake is so important to all the people that live up there, and about the efforts to bless it and keep it clean. Um, there's a group of people that are known as water walkers out of the indigenous nations, and they um, they walk around uh, bodies of water, such as Lake Simcoe, and they bless the waters as they walk around them um, with tobacco and with an eagle stick. And uh, it's just a way of um, thanking the water, thanking the earth, thanking, but especially thanking the water for all that it gives to us. And um, it's just it's 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 actually quite a beautiful film. So that will be premiering on that evening. And Becky Big Canoe, the film, uh, one of the filmmakers and her team will be with us on that evening. So that will be a fun night as well. The other things we will be showing that night because these are short films. Um, uh, the other three will be uh, The Water Tower and Chasing Water and Delta Dawn. And those are three films by a filmmaker named Pete McBride out of the United States. And so there, uh, all four of the films are short films. So the program will be made up from of about half hour, less than half hour. Some of them are a little less than half hour films. So it's gonna that's gonna be a great night as well. So come and learn about how you can protect the waters in your area, especially for us in Toronto, Lake Ontario, and the whole Lake Ontario watershed system that comes from the up in the Green Belt and the Oak Ridges Moraine. So come and uh, have fun. <laughs> 
Thanks. And uh, Melanie, I'm afraid we're just about out of time, but I want to ask you about one more thing, which is that I also see on your list you're, you're playing a, a couple of episodes by uh, TBO's The Water Brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been on the on our program a couple of times, and we're actually going to be having them on in, in uh, just a couple of weeks here again uh, with us. But maybe you can just say something about the um, the couple of episodes from, from their season one and season two that, you, that you're going to be playing as well. Sure enough. Uh, so the Water Brothers are great friends of ours. They come and they uh, join us at our festival every year uh, when they're in town, not making movies. <laughs> <laughs> they um, have their third season premiering on TVO coming up in April, so we have asked them to come and be with us, uh, show a couple of uh, uh, films, one from their season one and one from their season two. Season one is The Big Thaw, and that's about climate change in the Arctic. And season two is No Woman, No Water, and that's about the water situation in um, Africa. So both films are very um, um, current, timely, and the Water Brothers will be with with us in person. I just want to say a quick uh, thing that this uh, day is called our Family Day. So along with the film presentations, we also have tons of fun um, and entertaining and um, educational um, programs for the kids, for kids and families to take part in, um, happening being put on by the Engineers Without Borders and Ecoludi, and that's happening at the AGO from 12 till 4 on Saturday the 21st, and um, we will be showing short films throughout that time period, and then the Water Brothers will come at 2 o'clock, we'll show their films at 2 o'clock, so come if you want to see the Water Brothers and meet them in person. They're great guys and very personable, and they love to talk with kids and families and everybody. So come out to WaterDocs, and again, see the full program at waterdocs.ca. All right, thank you so much for your time. Uh, again, that was Melanie Howe, the Water Docs programmer for this year's festival. And uh, do you want to just one more time to shout out, uh, you said, oh, waterdocs.ca. Uh, um, the last thing I wanted to ask you, of course, we have uh, many listeners who are n- not in Toronto. Um, is there uh, a way that people can can maybe uh, f- see some of these films uh, if they aren't able to make it to the festival afterwards? Uh, well, what we're working on now, and uh, again, we're a small, volunteer, mo- mostly volunteer-driven nonprofit, so some of our programs take a little time to get up and running, but we're working on a water docks where you live. And so if there's any little community groups or um, uh, festivals or fairs that would like to uh, get involved with us, we're starting a program called Water Docks Where You Live, and we come out and we will do um, a screening with you for any of the films that we have in our program, and um, uh, not necessarily free, but uh, certainly we try and keep all costs down. So if that's something that's of interest, please get in touch with us at info, I-N-F-O, at ecologos, E-C-O-L-O-G-O-S dot C-A. All right, and then we'll also have uh, that information for everybody on the website on today's show post, and you can go to greenmajority.ca for that. Uh, thank you again, Melanie, uh, for joining us today on the program. Thanks so much, Darren. Come and join us and come and see some films. Absolutely will do. Okay. Uh, so you're listening to The Green Majority again. That was Melanie Howe, who's the Water Docs programmer for this year's Water Docs Festival. We're going to be speaking to one of the directors of the opening film, uh, or uh, which is Sterler Gunnarsson. We're going to be talking about the film Monsoon from last year, which is fairly obvious what that's gonna what that film is about uh following some uh with a high def camera in india during monsoon season so we'll be getting to that right after this music break we'll be right back you're listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 and our wonderful community partners take care we'll be right back
All right, and we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our wonderful community radio partners. Uh, and I think I mentioned last week uh, I was making a whole bunch of calls to some other stations, so we have some new people joining us as, as soon as everybody's actually confirmed and, and locked in. I'll be announcing some, some new stations, but uh, we're expanding our reach. Yay! Uh, so I would like to introduce our next guest. Sterla Gunnarsson is an award-winning Canadian film director, and we're going to be speaking to Sterla today about his film, which will be open the Water Docs Film Festival, which is the film Monsoon from 2014. Sterla, are you there? I certainly am. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us this morning. I know you're terribly, terribly busy, so I really do appreciate your time. Um, My pleasure. Uh, I would like to ask you just uh, right out of the gate here, um, what specifically was it about this topic that called you to it? Why chase monsoons? Well, I, I, you know, I've been romanced by the monsoon for probably 15 years now. The first time I was in India, I was making a film there called uh, Such a Long Journey, and just as I was leaving, the monsoon was arriving, and it was, uh, the skies were black, there was thunder and lightning, it was 40 plus degrees, 100% humidity, it was like altered states, and uh, everybody was talking about this thing that was coming, and it was sort of like... Uh, it was like they were talking about a, a god that was about to arrive. And it just got under my skin, so I started thinking about it and reading about it. And, uh, you know, I discovered that, uh, you know, that it's uh, how central it is to the whole, uh, to, to India. It's, it's, it's the entirety of India's fresh water for the year. Uh, festivals are built around it. Uh, movies, you know, every Hindi movie's got a, a wet sari scene. Uh, um, Poetry, music, the Malha, you know, the ragas. Um, there's just there's so many um, manifestations of, of of this sort of India's relationship to the monsoon uh, that it's got under my skin. It, it romanced me. I wanted to experience it, and I thought if I'm going to go and experience it and chase it for three months, I might as well film it. So, reading the description here that uh, that's on uh, IMDb, it's it's described as being part movie, part spectacle, and and part drama. Uh, I'm I'm interested if you can break that down for us a little bit about what is meant by by those components. Uh, well, it's um, it, it's certainly a spectacle. It's a big cinema film. It's um, uh, you know it's shot in 4K with uh, red epic cameras. It's uh, you know. It just it has a uh, uh, and and the monsoon itself is just such a big powerful manifestation of nature. Um, so I guess that's what they mean by spectacle. Uh, what was what were the other uh, words? Oh, uh, it was part uh, part road movie, part spectacle, and part drama. Right. Well, it's a road movie because it's me chasing the monsoon and. Uh, um, you know, and, and and in a way, it's sort of it's it's me as a non-believer in this land of believers, because uh, you know India is a land of faith, and um, uh, when you um, part part of the reason I think that 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 people in India are so committed to their faith is because they're confronted on a regular basis by these sort of very very powerful forces that make you realize how inconsequential you are in the face of, of them. Mm. Um, you know, so it's kind of, it's me chasing that and being, um, 
you know, discovering the mystery and awe of this, uh, of this, this manifestation and, uh, me contemplating, uh, sort of what, what it is about faith that so deeply moves me, despite the fact that I'm not a believer myself. Um, and, um, the drama, it's, uh, I, I don't know where that came from, but I suppose, <laughs> um, it's not a, um, I think drama in the sense that, that the film is, um, uh, we chose, there, there are about a dozen characters in the film, people who, uh, live along the path of the monsoon. We begin in the southern tip of, uh, of India in, in, um, Kerala and, and we move all the way up the coast right up into the northeast corner by the China border in Meghalaya. And along the way we meet people, um, whose lives are affected by the monsoon in one way or another. We meet a, there's a bookie in Calcutta who's, uh, basically, uh, you know, who hangs out in Bura Bazaar and takes bets on when it's gonna rain. Um, there are physicists who are, uh, creating, uh, mathematical models to sort of, to, to predict the behavior of, of monsoon clouds over time and space. Um, there's a movie star, uh, Mushmi Chatterjee, who, whose, uh, first movie, uh, Involved the rain dance that's become what, you know, the most, uh, one of the most popular songs in India and launched her career. There's, uh, there are farmers who live six feet below sea level and risk losing their homes every year. So there's a, there's a, a powerful human dimension to the film. Uh, it's kind of, it's these, these people, uh, um, uh, against this vast landscape. So, uh, Surla, one of the reasons why I really enjoy talking to documentary filmmakers is that, um, you know, you're, you're going in and, and studying a topic in great depth and, and spending uh, quite a bit of time immersed in your subject matter. Uh, but f- very frequently, it's not something that the, that the people involved in the film necessarily know a ton about ahead of time. And so it's sort of a very fresh and then very intense uh, look at it. I was wondering if you would just tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you learned, maybe some things that surprised you. What were some of the experiences that you got out of producing this documentary? Well, I mean, the uh, it, it was it was a you know it was a, a, a sort of a a great journey. You know, uh, I, I sort of covered the length and breadth of India and um, uh, saw some some really powerful beautiful things um i think what what surprised me the most what i didn't know going in was i knew that monsoon is a season i know that it arrives every year since the beginning of time uh always in the first week of june it uh, it recedes in september it encompasses all of india what i didn't know is how chaotic a system it is that just because monsoon has arrived, it doesn't mean it's raining. Uh, it rains in some places. It doesn't rain in other places. And despite the most uh, sort of sophisticated science that's uh, applied to trying to predict it, it's, it's very difficult, very challenging to predict. So, you know, we found ourselves uh, studying a lot of satellite imagery, trying to figure out whether to stay where we were or get on a plane and go somewhere else. Um, uh, to try and, and film this this very elusive phenomenon. And did did you, did you ever feel like you were in in danger doing this? I was in danger of going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you know it's. I mean, we had we had along a, a, a snake bite guy um, in some areas because uh, 
what happens during monsoon is is that it you know all the uh, the, the reptiles come to life and then a lot of them are you know there's a lot of, of snake bites happen and and in places in the more remote places if you uh, if you don't get to the hospital quickly, you don't make it. So, you know, we had stuff like that. There was a certain amount of discomfort. I mean, you're wading around sometimes waist deep in water, and you really don't want to think too much about what's in it. Um, but it wasn't, I wouldn't describe it as a hardship uh, adventure, you know. Mm. I I, uh, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I, as with all my adventures in India, and I've had many um I think that, that there were a lot of hardships. I think it was challenging. I think it was difficult, but I can't remember because uh, the, what I'm left with at the end is this kind of happy glow. <laughs> and then, so now that the, the, the film is out, it came out last year, and, and you're going to be opening the, the festival this year. Um, for someone who maybe hasn't been aware of your, your film now and maybe is considering to come and, uh, to come and see it, uh, what would be one of the, the sort of biggest things from the final product that really stood out from you when you sort of watched, you know, after it was all done, that sort of was just like, wow, we got that? What, what was something that really sort of stands out for you as, as part of the final film? It's trippy. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 that's what I wanted. I wanted to create a, a, an immersive experience. You know, it's not a hectoring film. It's not an information film. It's not an issues film. It's, uh, you know, you go and you sit down and this thing washes over you and it's warm and beautiful and you got the Bombay Dub Orchestra on the soundtrack. And two hours later you go, oh, that was cool. And you've been to India and you didn't even get sick. Uh, so you're going to be opening uh, the festival again. That was uh, if you're in Toronto and uh, you're able to to see it. This is uh, you're going to be at the um, screening, which is the March 18th at 5:30. Um, it, do you have uh, a, another project right now on the works that you're going to be going? Do you know what your what your next uh, work is going to be? Um, I'm I'm working right now on a TV series called Motive. Uh, I, sp- I, I split my time between doing documentary work and uh, uh, fiction work, and right now. Uh, I'm I'm uh, working on the fiction side. Great. Well, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with Sunday, us. Sunday Sunday nights at ten. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, and of course, we'll have links up to to your website where people can learn more about you and and a little bit more about your films, as well as the the Water Doc uh, website where they can uh, uh, find out how to come and meet you and and ask you some of the, your own questions. Uh, I do encourage people to check it out. Uh, it looks like an amazing film. So thank you again so much for your time, Sterling Gunnarsson. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to go in a moment to our second and final music break before we come back. I've got uh, Kevin Farmer here in the studio and Stefan Hostetter as well with a couple of uh, news items we're going to roll through. So stay tuned for that. Before we go to our break, though, uh, would you kindly, Aaron, come and tell us what, what, what was our previous and what will our next uh, song tracks be this week? Yeah, sure. So the, uh, the previous track was, uh, was called Pissed Up in SE1 by Aphex, Aphex Twin. And uh, the next one is by... Uh, semi-local artist from Montreal named Echinacea. The track is called Swilk 200. Alright, well let's check it out. We're going to go to our second and final music break here on the Green Majority, CIUT 89.5 FM, and our wonderful community partners. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. That I am a... Oh, 
right, and we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our wonderful community partners, which is growing. It's a growing list. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also want to uh, mention, because I, I neglected to do so, that we still have some Green Living Show tickets. We do. So uh, I was going to do that over the music break, and then I forgot to do it. So we'll just do it in the home stretch now uh, as well. So the uh, can we say the first two people? That send us uh, a contact can have two tickets. Is that totally. okay, Stefan? Yep. Awesome. Stefan is the arbiter of the tickets here. So, <laughs> uh, if you would like to go to the Green Living Show, uh, the first two people in order that go to greenmajority.ca and go to contact us will receive two free tickets to the Green Living Show, where we will also be uh, as well. That'll be on. Uh, we'll be there on March 27th, but the tickets, uh, I believe, get you in for the whole weekend. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. So first two people at greenmajority.ca, contact us is right at the top there. First two people get through, get two tickets each. Um, if we, uh, if I see some names here before the end of the show, we'll, we'll announce the winners when, when the tickets have been given away. But don't delay. Uh, without any further delay, mm-hmm. I would like to go to Stefan, who, uh, who has a news item. Yeah, uh, actually, perhaps I, I posted on my, on my Facebook earlier today as, as the best news you'll hear all day. Uh, and then someone said that they had their gas pump and googly eyes, and that should be beat it. I'm not. I'm going to say that this is still the best news all day. Sorry, sorry, Rob from our horizon. Um, <laughs> I have the pulpit, and you do not. Uh, no. This, so this is this is actually in uh, actually I think huge, or at least could be huge. Um, uh, the uh, International Energy Agency has has their so their findings for the 2014 carbon emissions uh has has been released and it actually is the same as last year which may sound like the most banal thing ever uh but what makes it interesting is that th- during this time we actually saw a 3% increase in in the econ- size of the economy so this is one of the first times we're actually seeing a break uh from carbon emissions and and increased growth and also what it basically means is that we didn't it, it, it hints at a larger had a larger solution that we're seeing perhaps because the only other three times in the last 40 years that we've seen a decrease or stagnation of carbon emissions were during recessions which this is globally right this is globally you're ma- yeah you're making yeah, it's this, this yeah. important to note that this is right. globally this is not a Canadian issue no yeah news item yeah it's a global it's, it's a global it's 32.3 billion metric tons in 2014 of carbon emissions uh, which is roughly the same as 2013 mm. And and that's and like there's I've lost a about this, but I'm sure Kevin does as well. So I'm gonna throw to Kevin for a second, and then I'll I'll organize my thoughts. Well, let me ruin everyone's good mood. Yay! Because <laughs> that's, that's my why that, we, that's, that's my superpower. <laughs> yeah, no, this is huge news. This is massive news because, like you said, this is the first time uh, that that emissions have plateaued, uh, not because the economy's been tanking. So so the economy is growing, which is going to keep you know the economists and the politicians and us consumers happy uh and 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 emissions have plateaued that's great news without a doubt that's huge that's earth-shaking it's worth talking about and it might be a sign of great things to come but uh emissions need to decrease and they need to reach zero and that's really the game we're playing so of course we can't get to zero without first plateauing and then decreasing <laughs> and decreasing all the way to zero. So this might be like the, the most exciting first step on that trajectory. Mm-hmm. But but I worry when these things get trotted out, people go, oh, yeah, we've won. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, problem solved. And, uh, and, and like I said, this might, be, this might be just the most exciting first step on, on Lao Tzu's famous thousand-step journey of a thousand miles. This might be the, the, great, the greatest first step we've ever taken. Uh, but yet they need to decrease next year. And they need to decrease again the year after that. And, the, and hopefully, they need to hit zero 
uh, before the warming genie is just out of the bottle. If if I can make a metaphor. I, you don't make <laughs> could metaphors. We, could we is, stop you from making a yeah, metaphor? If I can make a metaphor. <laughs> not, not as long as I write all the websites, no. <laughs> um, no, I mean, what I was thinking, of, and I realize it's a bit silly, but to, to, to sort of put a fine point on what you're saying, uh, is that it's kind of like a game of playing a game of risk with your friends. And we're celebrating finally having gotten through, having read and agreed on the rules of the game of risk. And someone <laughs> has taken their first move. That's essentially what this news item is. Yeah, uh, well, again, yes, there is still a very long game ahead of us, but yeah. at least we're playing. We can't get to zero without first going through. Like, if, if emissions have been increasing for you know two hundred years, we can't get to zero emissions without first plateauing, right? So this is this we could be on the right trajectory. Finally, I just don't want people to forget what the actual trajectory is. Yeah, and I think that's there's there's a lot here, uh, and I think what's interesting is I think if there if there weren't ex- if there weren't reasons why this might have occurred, then we largely c- could consider it a blip. You know, if 25 years ago it just happened once, uh, it wouldn't be it, it would it would be less encouraging. But I think the fact that we had incredibly we had relatively low oil prices for this year, uh, so it can't really be blamed on that. Uh, and and due to this sort of seeing actually you know the United States taking actually at least some some sort of version of you know not even not actual real carbon plans, but at least they're, you know, encouraging efficiencies and in, in, in increase in that sort Europe obviously is leading the way in basically everything. Uh, and then and then China's ramping down its coal use. Uh, so you, And everyone is ramping up their renewable energy use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think... It, it Solar can, in particular really is, and I say this as someone with a degree in math and I know what the word means. Solar, can, solar The use of solar power really is growing exponentially. <laughs> Whereas almost nothing else that we say is growing exponentially really is growing exponentially. <laughs> yeah, these exactly, and so I think be, I think what makes this news uh, more heartening uh, is the fact that we have reasons why it might not be an anomaly. Yeah, but for the same reason that pe- we get environmentalists, and I don't even want to call myself that anymore. I'm a rational human who just wants to live on Earth. Um, uh, the, the, we for the same reason we keep getting tagged as alarmists. We can't get tagged right now as optimists. <laughs> you know, this is a one-year trend. There's no yeah. such thing as a one-year trend. It's a fascinating occurrence, and it would be exciting as all hell if it happened next year, and then again the year after that. And, yeah. um, you know, but it, you know, it, it is great, but it, it, you know, it, w- it would be wrong to read you know, an abundance of optimism into this the same way it would be wrong to read an abundance of alarmism into a one-year you know, by increase. <laughs> yeah. My my concern with it though in the, the uh, is is not even the news itself it's it's how the news is going to be portrayed because you know the the, the fact is is that, that we here and and the and our and the audience the people that listen to the show under, un, understand you know some of the stuff that we're that we're talking about. Uh, but people who are not aware of international changes not aware of the fact that China just launched past everybody else as far as installing renewable energy despite the fact they're also one of the world's biggest consumers of coal they're just one of the world's biggest consumers of everything uh, because they manufacture stuff yeah because we're buying it from them right so yeah like we we keep you know everyone's always slagging China for their carbon production we're we're paying that those are our carbon uh, emissions because we're, we're buying their products. I, like they're serving our needs. Mm-hmm. So like the, the thing that worries me that I want to sort of put a fine point on here is that 
people who are not aware of the what's happening on the world stage and are only sort of concerned or aware of uh, sort of Canadian politics, I'm worried that they're going to see this headline and go, oh, great, see, Harper's policies are working just fine. Stupid, <laughs> stupid environmentalists. Um, that is not the case. Well, I th- well no, honestly, I think I, I think you like that's a, that's a reasonable, to some extent, reasonable concern. But I think at the same time, you can use this as sort of a full flesh example as to debunking some of the most, you know, some Harper's most pernicious lies in that if your argument is we cannot decrease carbon uh, without killing the economy and you're like well the actual entire world is doing it right now <laughs> like the fact that we had a three percent economic growth with steady carbon in like in some sense disproves the fact that you need carbon to grow your economy mm-hmm. it, it, it could if we see this for like for mentally of course yeah. of course yeah. it, it, not, not, this means this means as little to nothing as possible it just isn't more bad news yeah, which exactly. I think to yeah. environmentalists yeah. now is yeah. if it's not more bad news it's the best news we've heard all day <laughs> yeah like, and oh, I so agree with that <laughs> So, like, yeah, the, I mean, the, the thing there that I think we sort of, we the, you know, whether you want to call yourself an environmentalist or not, which uh, partially thanks to, to Kevin's repeated comments over the last seven years of doing this show, uh, it now defined the first line on our About Us page now says, you know, everyone has a different, if you ask 100 different people what their definition of the word environmentalist is, you'll get 100 different answers. Ours is very simple. If you breathe air and drink water, you're an environmentalist. <laughs> uh, it just said eat food. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, for for the environmentalists, I think this is sort of the thing to sort of be aware of now is to, uh, you know, we we have to make ourselves aware of what's happening on the global stage. Otherwise, what's happening nationally can be very easily misunderstood. Uh, And I think that's something that we have to sort of keep in mind because we know that the uh, oil interests and the people who serve them uh, coming into this federal election will be trying to use stuff like this and flip it around to say, see, look, what we're doing is great. Um, you know, and, and I think it's it, it it's going to be very necessary for us to all sort of stay very well informed to be able to combat this sort of thing because there's entire departments of advertising, you know, executives who are working up ways to, to spin news like this to, to have the complete opposite effect. Um, and, you know, I think... I, I'm I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned that uh, not enough people know not enough about what's going on on the global level to to really understand the implications of, of this sort of news. And I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna con- I'm gonna continue combating your guys' pessimism with more optimism, uh, which is which Thank is you, Stephen. No problem. I, I feel like the the wicked witch, and you're just throwing water <laughs> on me. I'm, uh, I'm which melting. is which is which is largely <laughs> just the fact that where where the the news where one of the places the news source was was published was was Forbes. That you know uh, what which, that's not optimistic. That's, wait, wait. That just plays into what Darren just said. Is that is that if Forbes is publishing this, I'm just going to say this, like pulling something right out of thin air. But if Forbes carried this story, it's because they think they can spin this as some way to shut down the climate change debate. <laughs> which is which is what I find so interesting because I, I read the full article and it's 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 there's nothing in it here that implies that. Oh wow! Uh, the, okay. The, the enti- like the the what the article really is 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 saying, which I find very interesting, is what they're highlighting is is the decoupling of economic growth with uh, with carbon emissions, and whether or not this is a trend we should really have to seek continue. Uh, and it's very heavy on that angle, hmm. uh, which I th- which is what which is which is what makes me positive because if if business starts understanding that that is that that is what we should be talking about, and like and okay, we're seeing growth, we're seeing massive growth in solar, massive growth, in there, and this decoupling is the is is something that. Uh, is something that uh, is 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 a trend, uh, and they like they quote heavily from the IEA about how this is not something that should be uh, that should be understood as as solving the problem. That there is much to, much more to go on, uh, and even actually goes into a sense that what this could 
do is help fuel stronger action on climate change in Paris leading up to it because of this f- sort of fact. Uh, it's 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 it, a very unforbesian article uh, well, I'm, to some extent. I'm, I'm in shock. I really am. I've, I've stopped reading anything from Forbes over the last couple of years because I've just read some of the most egregious uh, disinformation, misinformation, and, and climate change denialism on that website. It's like, I can't take this anymore. Well, it, it even includes a bit about how speculation that fossil fuel use overall is fast approaching its peak. Uh, it's... Yeah. Th- I, w- I wanted to jump in on a, on a news item on that on that same track. I'm I'm blanking for the guy's name right now, but uh, and I bl- I'm I'm also blanking on as to what newspaper it is. I know this sounds very suspect. <laughs> Good start. I, I did read this article. I think it was a fo- I think it was a Fox News article. If not, it doesn't matter because it was an interview directly with uh, some leading Republicans um, talking about the 2016 American presidential elections. And the article was discussing how the Republicans themselves, uh, who are are you know just making the decision right around now as to whether or not to, to run for president um, are very aware and that there's a lot of internal discussion about how enough people are concerned about climate change now that they are trying to figure out a way to sort of like quiet down some of their louder deniers because they know that that is going to prevent them from being elected. Mm. Um, and the fact to hear them talking about it, like I think that's true anyway. I, th- I think that that was true. Um, but the fact that they're aware of it, whether or not they even think it's true or not, they only think that they, the, whether things are true or not has nothing to do with their decision. It's will this help me or hurt me get elected? Yeah. Uh, and apparently this, it is growing uh, thought from the Republican side in the U.S. Uh, that the talking about that, that not having plan for climate, much less letting some of their more obnoxious climate denying people have a microphone is going to significantly hurt them. And I think that's that's piece of exciting news. Number two. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to read a quote here. Uh, then we'll go to Kevin uh, from the same article. Uh, from it, it's actually from Gary Ellum, a biophysicist and lecturer at the University of Newcastle and co-author of this study, the IEG, the IEA did, uh, which the words business as usual is so commonly basically the idea of if we don't do anything, we're totally doomed. Uh, and, and what he's doing here is he's talking about so the idea of what we're seeing perhaps is a reframing and a changing of what business usual means. Uh, and so the quote is, uh, oh, actually, I'll, let me scroll back for a second and get to the whole quote. In a business as usual situation, it is unlikely that fossil fuel deplete, that fossil fuel deplete industrial economies in Europe and parts of Asia will strategically position themselves to be dependent on fossil fuel imports. Rather, as part of business as usual, they will seek to accelerate the development and in installation of alternative energy generation technologies to improve their energy and economic security. There is clear evidence that this is already occurring in Europe and China especially. If that's a quote inside of Forbes right now, I am still going to say this is the best news you hear all day. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, the the interesting thing for me about what's been going on about this, um, uh, at some point in that we've got about 10 minutes left, at some point in the next few minutes, uh, I want to just transition into some C51 stuff because there's a rally coming up this weekend if you happen to be in Toronto, if you're interested in that. Um, Go team. <laughs> but the uh, one of the last things I want I want to say about that uh, uh, issue anyway was that it's, it's sort of interesting, you know, just watching Canadian and American politics to see how much of the, you know, policies like 51 is very similar to in a lot of ways at least spiritually to the patriot act that happened after 2001 in the u.s um about how much stuff we seem to be importing right we're importing a certain brand of politics we're importing a certain uh type of oil at all costs sort of mentality it's 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 almost like a delayed after effect where things just mirror in canada a few minutes uh, a few years later 
And what's really fascinating to me about that, that doesn't surprise me because we're the Americans, or they're our largest trading partner and a whole bunch of other, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that makes sense. The part for me that doesn't make sense is that there's enough of a delay that we've already found out why the stuff that they were doing was such a terrible idea. And they start to make grumblings at the very minimum about turning around from those policies. And then we go ahead and implement them. Look at uh, you. I could not possibly agree more with what you just said because I follow politics a lot. And we're seeing in so many ways uh, the the George W. Bush playbook reenacted here in Canada a few years later on so many issues. And it's like you said, we've got data now (laughs) assuring us that these policies didn't work in the first place. And in this sort of war on terror, as as W. used to say, uh, we're playing out the politics of terror here in Canada the same way they played out in the States to utterly disastrous consequences. Um, and, and and just to, you know, put a point on this, you know, we've had two we had a speech recently from Obama at us at a summit on terrorism. And he went out of his way not to demonize Islam. And and he he took pains to tamp down, um, you know, public anxiety. <clears throat> We've got Harper and Stephen Blaney, our Minister of Public Safety, uh, every day, you know, uh, going on about, you know, Islamic jihadis and, and, and homegrown terrorists. And, you know, we've got a former director from CSIS saying there's going to be a 9-11 in the coming year. And it, it, it's, you know, they have, the, the Americans have figured out that this approach was a disaster, and we're trotting it out, and and you know unthinkingly. And my, I look at this, and I think, no, we're not trotting this out unthinkingly. These people know exactly what they're doing. They're slamming the panic button for political opportunism. Budget? What budget? Remember the missing budget? No, it's gone. We're not talking about the budget anymore. We're talking about terrorism, and and then after that. New legislation about keeping the most heinous, possible, conceivable, brutal, vicious criminals behind bars forever. Again, pounding that panic button because those people already are behind bars forever. Those people are statistically the least likely threat you will ever experience in your life. Um, you know, we're talking about a vanishingly small number of people, which doesn't minimize the consequences of their crime to their victims in any way, shape, or form, but as, as, a, as a vehicle for trotting out public policy. It's uh, it's it's just another example of pounding everyone's panic button. And again, this is this just this is just so clearly politically convenient. It just so clearly serves the political purposes of the conservative party that it's just hard. You'd have to be a fool not to suppose that these smart people who are engaged in po- a political blood sport every single day of their lives are not sensing political opportunism in these arguments and exploiting it. So, you know, not only uh, do I agree with what you're saying, but we, the public, have not learned a single thing from watching how this is, how the politics of terror have played out in the states, and we're just, we're just, we're just lining up like sheep for this, 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 this fear, you know, live in fear, almost like the stranger danger argument. Just be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And 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 let us cow you into a, a surveillance state. And so I don't mean to monopolize this, but which I am, in fact, doing. But you know, here the other thing we haven't learned about in recent history is that you know Bill C fifty one clearly empowers a secret police service in Canada. And if anyone finds that language strong, I would say they haven't really read the language of the act. 
it and and what's interesting about this this is another lesson from history one i don't think history has any examples of po- secret police uh organizations uh not going rogue and not becoming a real problem and not not being sort of a toxic political uh, a toxic st- tool of the state but we don't even have to look at global history CSIS itself was created after the McDonald Commission in Canada when the RCMP was rogue, going rogue, abusing their power to act as a secret police service. So the thesis was created to stop this problem when it was occurring in, in the RCMP, which we now are opening the door to recreating in CSIS. So, so we're going to need another even bigger security agency. No, then, then the you know, no, the, <laughs> if, we, if history repeats itself, we'll then have to hive off this responsibility from CSIS and create a new agency. Then so, if history repeats itself again, we'll turn that into a secret police or some, uh, secret police uh, service and keep doing this forever. Like, it's crazy. This is suddenly reminding me of an old Monty Python skit with the endless policeman coming to arrest the previous policeman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I might actually, I'll, I'll see if I can try and find that image for the show post today. That, mm-hmm. That's exactly what that's like. like I ga- and I gather, you know, CSIS and the RCMP seem to have like classic interagency uh, operability, uh, operability problems, you know, they don't share information very well. And there's a few aspects in, 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 in this act that increases a little bit of information. Like they increase information sharing almost like to ridiculous proportions. And maybe, maybe CSIS and the RCMP need to be able to communicate better. Like that probably goes without saying, you know, agencies often have, uh, problems communicating with each other. But, but to, 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 this bill just goes so far. And the angle for the environmental show is that, for a show about the environment is that, uh, you know, the, the Stephen Harper, it, it clearly has an, it clearly, uh, over and over and over again, we keep seeing the RCMP, the conservative government, uh, trying to yoke environmentalism and First Nations activism with, with language just way too language that is now just way too close to the language that they're using to describe terrorism. All right. So we're into the final two minutes. I just want to let people know uh, we, we put it on last week's show post and I will repost it again for this show. But lead now uh, is putting on a, a whole is, has a petition and a whole bunch of information about C51. Uh, if you are in Toronto, Nathan Phillips Square this Saturday, March 14th, uh, there is a uh, rally happening. Uh, again, information for that will be on the website. Uh, and with that, uh, Stefan, I, I will give you the last word here. We've got about two minutes. Uh, okay, so the last word uh, on, on Bill, Bill C fifteen uh, or B fifty one. My only thing is, I also the idea of creating a new agency, a new agency, a new agency. It's probably that Simpsons episode uh, where they have a, where I think they have a lizard problem, and then they get, yes, and then they yep. get pigeons or hawks, and then they have a hawk problem, so they get snakes, and they have snake problems, so they get tigers. Yeah, and so what happens? We get a tiger problem. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, the Australia solution, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm 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 going to continue to just be happy uh that that co2 emissions have have uh have stagnated uh at least for one year we know it's not necessarily for good it's we know there's still much work to be done all every single possible caveat uh but honestly this may be the first time that i actually had any faith we might maybe maybe be on the right path uh so best news you hear all day rob shirky of our horizon i'm sorry it's not your googly eyes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the fact that we've actually stabilized for at least one year and decoupled it from economic growth. 
All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, Stefan. Uh, and as, uh, again, as well, uh, I, I haven't had a chance. I haven't been able to check my email here in the studio because I don't have uh, it live. Uh, but if you uh, if I haven't yet, you can still uh, go to greenmajority.ca, contact us and say that you would like some Green Living Show tickets. Uh, with that, without further ado, however, you've been listening to the Green Majority here in CIUT 89.5 and our wonderful community stations all across the country. Have a good green week, folks, and we'll talk to you soon. 